This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon, Learning to Follow Jesus' Voice, is by Father Kevin Miller and is part three of The Resurrection School, Learning New Life from Jesus. Jesus thinks that you can hear his voice. Do you? Jesus teaches that if you are his follower, when he, if he wants to say something to you, you will hear it. In fact, you'll be able to recognize it and distinguish it from other thoughts or voices, and that you'll be able to act on it. Look this morning, for example, at our gospel reading, John 10, and we'll start at verse 3. In this teaching, Jesus is comparing his relationship to his followers to the way a herder of sheep takes care of sheep. So in the analogy, he's the herder, the shepherd, and we are the sheep. So look at verse 3. The sheep recognize his voice. You can recognize the voice of Jesus. And they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows you uniquely. And he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know the stranger's voice. Now look down at verse 27. He kind of concludes this teaching on sheep, and he says, my sheep listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. Jesus assumes if we're his followers, we'll know his voice. How are you feeling right now? Because if you're like a lot of Christians that I know, then what you may be feeling right now is what the social psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Where you're like, well, Jesus may think that I hear his voice, but I'm not so sure about that myself. Because... I feel often distracted. I have trouble quieting down. I have trouble, you know, getting kind of open to what God might want to say. And then when I do, and I have a thought, I think, well, that might be from the Lord. Nah, probably just me. I can't tell whether this is from the Lord or my own wishful thinking or a temptation or something else. And then sometimes I really, really want to know what the Lord thinks, and I've asked him earnestly, and yet I'm getting nothing. I'm kind of blank. And I don't know what the Lord may or may not be trying to say to me. And so you, it's easy then in that kind of situation to think, well, hearing from God, that must be for those elite Christians who have a mystical temperament. That's not for me. But Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So this is not elite Christianity. This is essential Christianity. This is basic Christianity, everyday Christianity for each one of us here this morning. So my goal this morning is, as God helps me, I want to close the gap between Jesus' clear teaching about you, that you as his sheep know his voice, and your own experience, which is in some ways different from that. And maybe you feel some comfortability or some proficiency, but not a lot. And I want to try to close that gap for you this morning. And we're going to look at two questions, which you'll see in your bullet in there. The first one is, how do I sort out whether this impression, thought, scripture, whatever, whatever, is God speaking to me? It's the voice of Jesus in my life, or it's just my wishful thinking or temptation or something else. 
And the second is, what do I do uh, the, to open myself up and, and hear more than I do? What are the blocks that are keeping me from hearing? Let's look at that together. Now, uh, you don't have to be a researcher to know that babies in the womb hear sounds. Any pregnant mom can tell you, when the door slams, the baby jumps, okay? But what has not been known until more recently is this question, which is, can a baby in, its in the womb recognize its own mother's voice? So a nursing professor up in Ontario came up with an ingenious way to figure this out. And what she did was she had 60 women from around the world who were in their last trimester record a poem. So they, they spoke the poem out loud and that was recorded. And then she put each one of the babies on a fetal heart rate monitor. And then half of those, 30 of the babies, got a playback of their own mother's voice. The other 30 got a playback of some other mom's voice. In every single case, when mom was talking, the baby's heart rate accelerated. It's like, mom, I know you. Okay, in every single case, the babies who heard some other voice, some, some person who's not their mom, the heart rate decelerated, which the researchers say is like an attention mechanism. It's like, whoa, 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 slow down. Who's that? I don't know that person. Now, if a baby with a still developing brain can recognize its mother's voice, you go, how does that happen? Well, it's very simple. Every, that mom has a unique voice, and the baby hears it a lot. And so the way we're going to learn how to hear the voice of Jesus is recognize what is unique about the voice of Jesus and hear it a lot. Okay, let's start with the hear it a lot. How do we hear the voice of Jesus a lot? May I recommend this book to you? This is really good. <laughs> You're going to like this. Okay, now here's the problem though. I find a lot of people in their engagement with the Bible are, are engaging it, and they've been taught this, and I was taught this too. It's like you engage it like a scientist, right? So you come to it like a microbiologist, and you're up here, and you're looking down at the text through a microscope, and maybe you're pulling out a dictionary or a devotional or a Bible tool or something, and you're kind of parsing the verbs and all that. Well, listen, that's super helpful if you're trying to get a, a grad paper done for a theology class, and it's also helpful for about 45 minutes of the 12 hours of a sermon preparation. Beyond that, not all that helpful. If you're trying to learn the voice of Jesus, a much better way is to come under the text. Imagine you're like a four-year-old sitting on the carpet at VBS, and you're in awe of your teacher, and you're drinking in everything your teacher's saying. That's the attitude you bring if you really want to hear the voice of Jesus when you engage this. So when I sit down in the morning, I'm in my lazy boy with coffee, and the coffee's starting to wake me up. And I, I, I usually say, and I always feel before I start reading, Lord, speak to me today. If there's anything you want to speak to me, you got me. I'm right here. I'm open. Now, some days it seems more clear and profound, and other days not so much. But that's the attitude and the openness that I'm going into. And then I'm going to read the text really slowly. Not a lot of it, actually. And then I may reread it. And as I do, I'm looking for particular phrases or words that have resonance for me, that kind of light up. And then I pray and talk to God about that. You see, and as you do that kind of listening, open and receptive engagement with Scripture, you're going to learn the voice of Jesus, and you're going to learn its uniquenesses. Now, I tried to figure out, like, okay, what have I figured out over the years in my own experience about the unique qualities of Jesus' voice? So let me just offer this to you as pastoral wisdom. This is, uh, I would say it's drenched in Scripture, but it's not like pointing to one specific passage. But see if it's helpful to you. Three qualities. 
The first one is this. The voice of Jesus has authority without coercion. Authority without coercion. It says in the Bible that when Jesus taught, the people were amazed at his teaching because unlike all the other rabbis who were teaching, he had authority. Well, yeah, he knew the Father and he spoke out of that authoritative voice. When Jesus speaks to you, it has an authoritative quality to it where you go, I cannot ignore this. I might disobey it, but I know that there's a price to pay if I disobey because that has authority over me. That voice is one that, that rings the bell and I have to listen. Now, what we're not used to, though, in our world is authority that is in no way coercive, pushy, bossy, or demanding. If you want to walk away, Jesus will let you walk away. One great Christian said, Jesus will invite you to the banquet, but he'll never shove food in your mouth and make you swallow it. Now, when I was a younger Christian, I did not understand this dynamic of Jesus. And I, I, I thought his voice was more coercive, and I would sometimes get confused. I had heard a couple sermons in which the preachers had said, told these amazing stories about, that went something like this. Well, I was driving down the street one day, I was driving my car one day, and I all of a sudden felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit that I was supposed to turn left right there. And I was like, why God? And he's like, just do it. So I turned left, and I went down the street, and there I ran into a guy, uh, met a guy, not ran over a guy, and, and I led him to Jesus. And I was like, well, that's awesome. That would be incredible. I want to do that. So then I'd be walking down a street, and I'd see somebody standing out in their yard, and I'd hear this voice in my head, go talk to him and tell him about Jesus. But I didn't want to. It felt weird and awkward. No wonder it was weird and awkward. So I would, I would be torn in myself. I'd be like, should I, should I not? I'd stand there on the street, look at the person, look at me, then think God. And I was tied up in knots, and it was very burdensome because the sense I had of the voice was it was kind of coercive, a little pushy, like if I mess this up, I'm really going to mess up with God. That was the way it came to me. Well, now, over time, I did try it actually a couple times. It was utterly awkward and utterly unproductive. But uh, what I learned over time with the way of Jesus is, the way Jesus engages people is he relates to people. He doesn't do drive-bys with people, right? And, and, and he does a whole lot more listening and asking of questions than he does talking oftentimes. And I was like, oh, I want to be like that, that. And God began to change me on the inside where I wanted to have those conversations with people when they were ready and when the relationship gave an, an opportunity for that. And all of a sudden, it wasn't bossy and pushy. Do you get that? So authority without coercion. Second thing, the voice of Jesus will bring correction without shame. The voice of Jesus will correct you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict you. There's going to be times where you mess up, and, and that inner voice speaking, the Lord will tell you, well, I mean, lots of times this happens to me. I was in a meeting Friday, and, and the, after the meeting, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. You know, you interrupted that other person in that meeting like three times. Do you really think, like, I mean, and I begin to, oh yeah, I think what I'm saying is so much more important than that person that I've got to run over them. And I wrote him an email, apologized, and uh, and, and that was the Holy Spirit just convicting me. So he'll correct you. But here's the thing, without shame. A great example of this is in John 8, where they catch a woman in the middle of cheating on her husband. Clear-cut violation, like flagrant foul. And they bring that case to Jesus to kind of test him and see what he's going to do with it. And he utters these immortal words, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Astonishing. 
How do you blend correction without shame? But he does it. That's the way Jesus does it. When it's Jesus speaking to you, he will convict you of a specific sin. And you go, oh yeah, I know it. I know exactly what he's talking about. And it leads you to confession so that you restore your relationship with the Lord and with other people. When it's, when it's Satan trying to uh, speak to you, he's not going to convict you of a specific sin. He's going to condemn you for your, you're just a worthless, horrible person for your general vague unworthiness, and it's not going to lead you to any repentance or something good. It's going to lead you to the feeling like, I'm the worst Christian ever. I might as well just give this up. You see the difference? Correction without shame. So authority without coercion, correction without shame. And the third quality I would set before you as really distinctive of the voice of Jesus is promise without grandiosity. God has promised for you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. But he wants to feed your hope, not your ego. Now, this is where we often get tripped up, right? Let me give you a great example of this in the scriptures. It's about the guy who was on his way to becoming the Apostle Paul. Right now, his name is still Saul. And he's just been converted, or is in the process, I guess. And, and here's what the Lord says about Saul's life. He says, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the nations and to kings. That is heady stuff. You're going you're to speak to kings about the Lord as well as to the people of Israel. But listen to this. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You know how Saul spoke to kings? With his hands tied behind his back when he was on trial and giving a deposition. So yeah, Jesus will give you a great promise for your life, but it may not be in the grandiose way we all might natively assume. It's going to have tremendous joy and connection to Jesus Christ in it, and it's also going to have some suffering and a cost to pay. And so there you go. Promise without grandiosity. Now, this is actually, I think, reasonably clear, and, and you might think about it for your own life right now as you're trying to hear something. Is there a, coerce, a coercive or bullying or pushing or demanding insistency in the voice? Probably not the Lord. Is there a shaming in the voice? Not the Lord. Is there this kind of grandiosity and, and way it, it feeds your ego and your need to be affirmed that actually is not the Lord? You know, and, and, and so it'll start to become clear for you. So we might ask, what is it that is most likely to confuse us as we try to do this discernment? Here's one thing that I think confuses us a lot and is the most likely trip up, I think. And that is this. We've got another shepherd besides Jesus, but we're not really acknowledging that that shepherd's in the room. And so when we sit down and go, Jesus, tell me whatever you want to hear, he's trying to speak, he's taking a breath and about to speak, and we're hearing this other shepherd, okay? So in the first half of life, as we're by just developmental necessity and, and human experience, what are we trying to do in the first half of life? We're trying to get a life together. So we're trying to form relationships that are lasting, and we're trying to make a career or a way in the world in which we can pay the bills, and we're trying to find a home, and, and we're, we're trying to find a purpose in life. And these are very important things. But what can happen is we can, when we sit down and ask the Lord, well, Lord, what did you have me do? We're listening to him. We're also listening to the achievement shepherd. And achievement shepherd is saying stuff like this. Make build an impressive resume. It will go in your permanent file. People will be in awe. Build a bigger business. Build a significant ministry. 
have kids that are so awesome, other parents will wish they had those kids. You know, I mean, you see how it works? And Jesus is not against your achievement, but Jesus is saying, what does it profit you to gain everything and lose your own soul? You follow achievement, shepherd. Yeah, you're going to make it big probably, but in the second half of life, you're going to have this junkyard life because you strained your relationships, you ran over people, you distanced yourself from God, et cetera, et cetera. And achievement shepherd's not going to be there for you at that moment. Jesus will be. In the second half of life where there's a lot of disappointments and frustrations, thing, limitations that you have to real face into, right? Your life wasn't all that you hoped it was going to be. What, what, what is the shepherd there? Comfortable life shepherd. You deserve a break. I've seen people wreck the second half of their life because they're like, I've been taking care of people my whole life. Now's, now's my time. And uh, that's, that's comfortable life, shepherd. That's not Jesus, the good shepherd who says, I'll lead you to pasture and quiet water even in the life you live right now. If you follow me, I'll sustain you and give you inner peace. You don't have to bail on your life. You can live it with me in your life. Okay. Well, let's turn to that second question then, which is, now that we kind of know the distinct voice of Jesus, what are some of the blocks that might keep us from hearing that distinctive voice? And I've jotted down, again, in the spirit of trying to help you with some pastoral wisdom, seven uns. Deal with the uns, okay? And my goal here is not that you remember every one. You don't even have to take notes on them, but just listen and kind of pay attention to which of the uns is most oppressing for you today, okay? So the first one, unprocessed pain. You've had a big disappointment in your life. Something blew up. You've had a real hurt. You've had an unfulfilled longing. And you're like, where was God? And you're hurt. You're angry at God. Although you don't always admit that, but you, can, you know you're hurt. And so you don't want to go, Lord, speak, your servant's here, and, you know, whatever you want me to do, because you're hurt, you're angry, you're distant, you're disappointed. Okay, so what do you do with that? What you're going to want to do is stop coming to church because church is awkward and hard for you because you kind of have to face God there. You can't run and hide too much. You know what I would say? Come anyway. Just come and receive Eucharist. It's very objective. You don't have to feel great when you take it. Just, just come. Okay. And the Lord will, 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 will feed you. And then you're going to want to stop praying because you're like, I don't want to pray. That didn't do anything for me. No, move toward God by going with the prayers of lament. Get those from the Psalms where, where they're just going, God, I don't understand. God, where'd you go? And they, and they just pour out your anger, pour out your disappointment. And here's what has happened so often for me, and, you know, results may vary. Every life is its own life. But so often after maybe, depending on the size of the hurt, 10 months or two years or something of that kind of season, something happens and often it catches me by surprise, in which two things go together that I never thought could go together, which is my incredible pain and God's incredible love. And all of a sudden, I see it in a different way, and I'm like, oh, you were there. You do love me. I, I couldn't get that together before, but now I do. So unprocessed pain. If that's you this morning, move toward God and not away from him. The second is unwise practices of Christians and churches in the past. People use God told me to manipulate other people and to 
excuse stupidity. I once was at a conference where the speaker was using God told me to sell her books. Like basically, if you wanted to be with God and be in with God, you had to go buy her book right there. Okay? Well, you know what? People are sinners. Religious people are sinners. So name that as evil. That was wrong. That was an abuse of spiritual authority. And then forgive it. Because why should you let their sin block you one more day from hearing the voice of Jesus when Jesus promises, my sheep know my voice. You can know Jesus, he says in this passage, John 10, in the intimacy level that he and the Father know each other. That's the intimacy level he invites you into. So don't let other people's sin and abuse stop you from entering in. Three, unconfessed sin. Jesus taught, hey, if you've offended your brother or sister, before you come and pray and you stand at the altar and you raise your hands in church and all that, how about going and getting that right? Unconfessed sin will damage your capacity to hear. Number four, an unwillingness to obey or change or do the hard work required. See, every calling from God, true calling from God, will lead you into a deep joy that you long for. And yet you know instinctively, and you should know this, it will also lead you into a suffering that will break your heart. Parenting will do that. Pastoring will do that. Whatever it is, it'll all, <laughs> whatever call you have, it'll do it. But you know what? Jesus will be with you right there in every one of those moments. And he's not going to ask you to do anything. He's not going to do with you, and he's going to carry you. And so you may need to just count the cost. And, 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 and stop doing the Lord. Tell me whatever you want to know. I, I, I mean, want me to know. I'm totally open. Okay, number five, unforgiveness. Jesus taught, if you don't forgive that other person, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. There's something that goes wrong in our relationship with God when we harden down and get a grudge and bitter and resentful. If that's you, that's where you need to work. And, and that'll open up that capacity again to be in relationship with the Lord in a free-flowing and sweet way. Number six, an unwillingness to get it wrong. First Corinthians teaches, we know in part and we prophesy in part. What does that mean? We're going to get it wrong. There's going to be times where we think we hear the Lord, and we didn't, and it wasn't wishful thinking and whatever. I, I've had that. I've told you guys about how I wanted to sell the house and move to the Dominican. It was all spiritualized grandiosity. I see now. I didn't see that at the time. Okay. But you know what? Those mistakes are usually not fatal, right? You just humble yourself and you go, yeah, you know what? I miss her. But is there anything in your life that you're going to learn how to do and you're never going to goof up? A friend of mine is trying to teach me how to roast coffee beans. It's like, do I really expect I'm going to learn how to be a great coffee roaster and not burn a few batches and dump some in the garbage? Of course. You know that's part of it, right? Or some of my friends are into investing. You know what? Every one of them knows I'm going to lose money some days on things that I try. Does that mean they quit investing? No, of course not. And so why would we give up something as beautiful as listening to the voice of Jesus just because we're going to mess up sometimes? If you go about this with a humble spirit and loving commitment to other people, you're going to be fine. Okay, number seven, trying to do it on your own. See what I'm doing there? Okay. It's making it fit, right? Trying to do it on your own. Okay. Come on, 11 o'clock. Come on with me. All right, all right. It wasn't that funny. Okay. Um, One of the big issues, I think, in our culture, because we're individualized, is that we think discerning the voice of Jesus is a solo sport. It's like golf. It's like me, my clubs, and the ball. 
I get the score. And it's up to me whether this is a good game or not, right? I got to hear from the Lord. Well, it's actually much more like basketball, a team sport, where you have a few people that you really learn how to play with and work really well with. And so, I mean, if you look at the early church in the, in, in the book of Acts and so on, it's like, how do they find out that Saul, uh, who becomes Paul, is supposed to become a missionary? Five people are fasting and praying together. They're fasting, they're praying, they're talking, they're talking about, what do you think you hear? Oh, I don't know, I kind of hear it differently. Maybe God's saying this. That ends up with a very gutsy move. They send off 40% of their elder board, Saul and Barnabas, to go become missionaries. Okay, it's a team sport. So that should relieve a lot of pressure from each one of us because we can, we can lean into the wisdom and maturity of others. Now, it's still our decision. We're still morally responsible. We can't push that off. But I, it's gotten to the point in my life, friends, I will not make a major decision without tremendous input from my longtime mentors, uh, Bishop Stewart. I just, I can't do it. I got to have people speaking into my life because they're going to hear some things that I haven't heard. I mean, for example, you know, most of you know that over the last year and a half, two years, Karen and I have been asking kind of vocational discernment questions like, Lord, we're entering this sort of legacy phase of our lives. What do you want us to invest that in? And about three months ago, we were meeting with some friends, and I was kind of just worn out from the process. It hasn't been clear, and it's been a little up and down and sidetracked, and, and I was just a little weary. And so we were telling some friends, and so they prayed for us. At the end of the prayer, the, the man who was our friend looked at me, and he said, you know what? I don't really get words from the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't do that kind of thing. But as we were praying, I, I got this picture. I had this picture. Remember those 3D pictures, the stereograms, where it looks like a blob, and you stare and stare and stare, and finally, like, boom, something changes in your perceptual field or something, and all of a sudden, you see this, like, magnificent 3D image, and it all just, like, snaps into place. He's like, I think that's what's going to happen for you. And I was thinking to myself, well, you may think you don't hear from the Lord, but that's exactly what God needed to tell me today because now I feel closer to the Lord. I feel a sense of hope and promise, like God's saying, hey, you're staring, 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 but it's going to become clear. Oh, friends, what is it in your life right now as you've heard these seven uns that is most likely the one that is, is hindering in some capacity your, your, your freedom to hear from the Lord? Is it unprocessed pain? The unwise practices of those in the past, unconfessed sin, unwillingness to obey, unforgiveness, and unwillingness to get it wrong, or, sorry for the pun, trying to do it on your own. The Lord says to you, my sheep know my voice. You can know his voice. You can recognize it. You can follow it. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for each person here. Lord, I know they just long to hear your voice more freely and clearly and fully than, than ever. And so would you grant them that, that desire? Would you remove any blockage that is right now keeping them from that? Would you make it clear? And would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit present here among us, begin to remove that and grant freedom in the name of Jesus? Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.